When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. SAS Forged in Hell is the new book by Damien Lewis. In the summer of 1943, the largest invasion fleet ever assembled flailed, sailed for fortress Europe, aiming to bulldoze its way onto the Nazi shores. As a vanguard, at the vanguard went a few hundred elite forces soldiers, with a Royal Navy warship carrying them by airing the iconic wing dagger emblem on its prow. It is the subject, it's a, once again a brilliant Brilliant book uh, by now regular guest to the show, uh, Damien Lewis. I'd like to say he's joining us live from London mid-launch. Good morning to you, Damien. Yeah, good morning. Good to be with you again. Yeah, very good. And, and, and you, you, you are right in the middle of, of launching this particular book. Yeah, yeah. So last night I was giving a talk to the Imperial War Museum uh, at the uh, Lambeth site, which was fantastic. Found brilliant turnout, wonderful audience, and it's such an amazing venue. I love being there; so much to see. And then tonight, uh, we're doing the same at the National Army Museum, so in Chelsea, another yep. fantastic venue. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really interesting because there has been a revival or a rediscovering of 1943 and the Italian campaigns and and Operation Husky and the invasion of Sicily. Uh, and it is it is fabulous that your book looks at the exploits of the SAS and and some and this and, and most of the people who will have a passing uh, a passing uh, remembrance or a memory of the SAS will, will presumably be thinking I was this is somewhat like the guns of Navarone yeah yeah it's, it is very much a guns of Navarone story that opens the book so you know um you're talking February March 43 David Sterling the founder of the SAS has been captured and once again, you know, those in high command who have never liked these piratical raiders of the desert are trying to do away with them. And the way that um, uh, Blair Paddy Maine, who then took over command of the SAS after Sterling's capture, the way he kind of argues that they've still got a role in Europe is to win for them this suicidal mission, you know, to, get, to go and take the shore guns that are going to that risk blowing the Allied invasion fleet out of the water. That is the mission they're giving. So serving right at the tip of the Allied spear, right at the tip of the Op Husky invasion fleet, knowing if they fail, then the consequences could be catastrophic. And it's interesting with with the land, but with the especially with the invasion of Sicily before they pop over the Straits of Messina and get into Italy itself, yeah. because because there are so many things, there are so many potential disasters, and. Uh, you know things that could have gone wrong, and you mentioned they're trying to do away with the the long range desert group and whatever. I and mean, this is this is a, a scenario that, that they're, they're not used to. Uh, they've been yeah. highly trained or mains training them, themselves, but they've been used to sort of wasn't they swanning, but thundering around the desert with a yeah. huge ex- expense of of terrain to get to to explore and get mm-hmm. lost and hide in. And this is this is this is a commando type operation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So. 
you know, they're used to deploying in, you know, most a dozen, two dozen men, you know, hit and run, raid, shoot and scoop, fast jeeps, you know, melting out of the darkness, hitting an airbase, melting away just as quickly. That's what they're trained for. That's what they're used to doing. Suddenly they've got to, Maine's got to lead 286 men, you know, in one operation, going in by landing craft in the depths of night, scaling these impossible cliffs, outnumbered 50 to one. And they don't just have to take these shore guns. They have to then destroy them and hold them against all enemy forces until the Allied invasion fleet has landed and got its troops ashore. So it's a completely different means of waging war for them. And presumably they have to take these guns because otherwise the the fleet, the Allied fleet, is going to get blown out of the water quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, 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 if the sun comes up and the Allied invasion fleet is spotted and the shore guns are still manned and operational by the enemy, obviously they'll blast the allied fleet out of the water so this is a do or die mission you know it's if, if they do not succeed they're not husky itself risks not succeeding but that, those are the stakes involved the weather in italy is always a factor you get you know 1943 as i said before and i was speaking to james holland a couple of days ago about this is the fact that it's 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 beautiful weather when when the invade i know that this is i'm jumping the gun and going down the line yeah. here but it's beautiful yeah, yeah. weather in summer in italy and then the winter hits and it's absolutely appalling for everybody and the the weather when these go, when the SAS are doing this raid, and and also remember they're not doing this in isolation because there are hundreds of gliders coming in, which are going to land right. seamlessly on the island itself, and yeah. that goes horrendously wrong. Yeah, it's an absolute nightmare. I mean, you know, everybody's game planned this 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 operation, including actually General Kurt Student, who's the the German Airborne Forces Commander. He had sketched out how the Allies might invade, and he predicted they would they'd land on Sicily, but. No one in their wildest imaginings thought that in mid-summer, July in the Mediterranean, it would be anything other than the flat calm. So they've all game-planned it for perfect weather, including the airborne landing. So the SAS have to go in and take the shore guns, but then hundreds of paratroopers are supposed to drop by glider onto Sicily, further inland, and take the key bridges and and, and ensure the invasion force can then move move overland. And their, their mission is a utter disaster. And it's interesting as well, isn't it? Because you're talking about, you know, the top brass wanting to get away, do away with the SAS because it wasn't their sort of warfare. Yeah. But also there's that whole, I, mean, I know there's a, but there's a parachute versus glider regiment. I mean, because everybody's testing out their theories at this point in the war. And so That's right, yeah. So, so, so the airborne side of it is, is I mean, the, the planning is so bad that the storm blows up. So 69 gliders end up ditching in the sea because they're, they're, they're obviously blown to the four corners of the wind by the storm. And so nearly all the guys riding, all the paratroopers riding on those gliders drown. It's horrendous. And so the SAS, as they're going on the landing craft, they're actually passing through the wreckage of these gliders with men clinging to them, begging for them to rescue them. They can't stop because they know if they do, they're going to in, 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 endanger the whole invasion. It's a nightmare scenario. And even those gliders that actually do manage to put down on Sicily, because the planners haven't studied the air recce photos closely enough, they, they just haven't realised that Sicily is crisscross with with dry stone walls, and so all those gliders just get torn to pieces. It's a it's it's a really horrendous disaster. And what that means for the SS is, as they are sailing in to take these shore guns, they realise they are very likely the only elite force that are going to get onto shore alive and able to do their operation. 
The we've also talked about the SAS being sort of stealthy and nobody can see nobody who knows who they are. But th- there's a bit of a spoiler here because there's a there's a bleeding great SAS emblem on the, on the prow of the sh- of the, of the, yeah. of the what, is it the Ulster Monarch isn't it the, the, the ship it's the Ulster Monarch yeah. yeah so they're, they're they're sailing to to Sicily in a converted passenger ferry converted into a la- a, 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 a DIY landing craft and Maine and the captain who they nicknamed Captain Crash because he was such a wall like bullish individual. They get on so well that Maine gets his chief engineer, a guy called Bill Deakins, who was his explosive expert, his demolition expert. He gets him to carve a winged dagger emblem out of wood with the Who Dares Wins logo, and they bolt it onto the prow of the Ulster Monarch because it just it, it typifies the kind of piratical mission they're, they're they're sailing in to do, and that's the spirit that sees them through all these all these subsequent uh, amphibious landings as well with that ship. So they get they get to the base of the the uh the cliffs and the one thing that Maine is really good at is is training 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 so his the 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 troop the the troop that he's got are fit and well trained and and ready to go and they may have had a little was they're on the bennies as well they've got benzodine tablets as well uh which is interesting so they they literally just say okay there's a there's a large gun up we go is, is that is that a pretty much a, a summary of what happens next yeah, yeah, you know they're they're landing in in, in the depths of night. In, 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 in the, the the weather conditions are so bad. Get this, because it, it, this is in, in a sense the weather's a blessing and a curse, right? Mm. So they've lost some guys already to to the terrible weather conditions. But when they scale the cliffs and they unleash their firepower, and and Maine orders his men to go in with fixed bayonets because he wants to strike the fear of God into the enemy because they're so late, they've got to get it done so quickly. And what happens is when the Italian battery commander realizes. This is a ground assault. It's not an RAF air raid. He calls his German counterpart in the next you know, in the next base and says, "You know, come and reinforce us. We're getting attacked on the ground." And the German officer refuses because he says, "There's no way Allied forces can have landed in such a storm. You must be imagining it." <laughs> and so the storm actually, on one level, plays to the SAS's advantage. And, and what are they? Because they, they're going. Obviously, they are SAS. They don't have a lot of kit. They don't have a lot of backup. They certainly don't have. Um, uh, they don't have artillery or anything like that, but yeah, they've got these. Is it is it mortars they're carrying or something that makes them look like 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 giant tortoises or something? You remark? Yeah, I mean they're 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 laden down with these impossible loads. They're actually climbing impossible cliffs, but carrying with them a mortar, right? An eighty-one millimeter water. It's, it's equivalent size. Eighty-one millimeter mortar with scores of mortar rounds because that's you know th- these these gun emplacements are encased in so much concrete the RAF has been unable to destroy them from the air so you need firepower but that's what they climb the cliffs with and actually the opening salvo of the attack is a mortar round and they fire it and it happens to land in the gun's ammunition store the first shot and blows the gun emplacements to hell and that's what sets the uh, Italian uh, commander to thinking this is not an RAF raid this is a, this is a bunch of lunatic British raiders you know at our gates and I bet all for reinforcements. <laughs> I mean, isn't it? Is that, oh, don't give me a like, don't be give me a good general, give me a lucky general. But for the first mortar round to land there, baboom. Yeah. That's um, a stunning, stunning shot. You know, intensive training paying off. That's what this boils down to. The fact they could get ashore, not be seen, scale those cliffs, put the first shot like that, bang on target. That is the months and months of intensive training that Maine puts men through paying off. 
just a quick one here because we're talking about you know the Italian troops who are defending, and there's an awful yeah. lot of things said about the Italians and uh, you know and about their unwillingness to fight. But they're given a they have been historically given a, a rough ride. They were they didn't really really want to be in this war. They they knew that they, they you know they they knew what was coming. They didn't the Germans their allies regarded them as second class citizens completely. You know they'd rather they would rather be home. They weren't motivated. So when when the this bayonet charge of these madmen arrives, you can quite easily see why the majority of them just go right. Fine, I've had it. That's it. I'm down. I'm done. That that's exactly what Maine banked upon. I mean, he was a brilliant. Um, he was brilliant at understanding human psyche, both his own men and the enemy. One of his greatest greatest traits. And he realised, you know, if we go in. It, you know, it's, a, it, it's a pre-First World War tactic, the bayonet charge, mm. but because they're so late and the time's so running against them, he just says, fix bayonets, we charge. And because of that, it, it, just as you say, the Italians look at these berserkers emerging from the night with 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 cold steel glinting in the moonlight and yeah the the battle for that first gun emplacement is over pretty quickly and and more prisoners taken then from that first gun battery than the entire strength of the SAS uh, squadron going in. Yeah, and not only that, but they've also they also come a, a, a run into into villages uh, who are, who are hiding in the in the network of tunnels. And again, it just goes to show how well trained they are. Because rather than just say, you know throwing in grenades and, and machine gunning anything that moves, um, you know, Maine's forces are able to distinguish them as, as civilians, and they're hiding there because the, is it because they they are afraid of being bombed from the RAF or something? Yeah, like that? so the, the the RAF have been doing a lot of uh, you know softening up bombing raids, and wherever the bombing raids have taken place, the local villages have come and hidden in the bunkers beneath the gun battery like makeshift air raid shelters and they've done the same tonight and so when men's men's raiders start the attack they can hear this eerie spooky kind of childish screaming and crying coming from the gun in place they can't stand it and when they get there and they start to attack the first underground bunker they realize there's women and children in there and so they can't grenade them anymore and it's again it's really interesting about main psychology you know in commanding his men he says to them you know you, wherever possible, you will take the Italian soldiers prisoner mm. because if they know that they can surrender and they will be afforded the protections of prisoners of war, we will seize the objectives more quickly and more easily. Brilliant understanding of psyche, both on his side and the enemy's side. You see, and this is the thing with Maine, because a lot of people will go, oh, Paddy Maine, and the way he's being portrayed in, in, in various TV shows, and they'll go, oh, and, you know, oh, he was, you know, he was a brawler, he was a, you know, a big drinker, he was this Irish with a capital O-I, you know, um, sort of figure. But, you know, again, he's a, he's a, tra- he's a trained barrister, he's played uh, international rugby, and after the war, he, he, it's obvious that he's suffering from PTSD, and, and who wouldn't? Plagued by it. I mean, I had, I had this manuscript and the one before, SS Brothers in Arms, you know, both of which, which are main story, you know, at Maine and his band of warriors. I had them both read by Ross Townsend, who's a former UK expert on PTSD. Mm-hmm. Okay, she, She's a consultant with P- PTSD Resolution, the charity. And she said, really fascinating, she said, one of these raids, one of these missions going weeks behind enemy lines, seeing your closest, closest friends getting killed and injured, having to do these terrible things to the enemy would would be enough to give you trauma. Five years of repeated operations behind enemy lines, it is inconceivable you wouldn't end up in that way. I'm not only that, fascinating again, she said, you know, the two traits that make you most prone to getting PTSD are empathy and imagination. 
that's that people with that are prone to PSD. You can't be in the SAS, certainly in the Second World War, I, I would argue even today, without imagination, because you've got to imagine how to attack the enemy such that the enemy would never imagine it possible. You've got to think the unthinkable. That's what they specialized in. Mm-hmm. And the empathy, because you've got to carry your brother warriors on these suicide missions. And you can't order men to do this. You have to carry them through through filial brotherhood and love. And that's what they did. So the type of individuals drawn to this unit are also the type of individuals who are most prone to getting PTSD. During the, the action themselves, I believe, is it the, the only sort of, the only noteworthy wound is, is somebody gets their trousers ripped off or something like that? Is that, is that, is that am I getting, is, 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 is it Benny, is it the Benny Hill school of commando warfare? What's going on there? Yeah, taking their first gun battery. <laughs> so, uh, Lieutenant Davis, uh, jumps over the wire, gets the arse of his trousers ripped out and does the rest of the whole operation with no seat to his trousers. But even funnier, Johnny Wiseman, one of the SAS originals, because they have a, they have a, um, uh, a recognition that the, the, you know, the code they call out and it's the answering phrase is kill the Italians, right? And he's shouting out the, the recognition phrase and his false teeth pop out and he loses his false teeth. <laughs> 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 Priceless um, you can make them up. It's, I mean, it, obviously it's, it's a huge success for um, the SAS, but the Sicily campaign itself or the Sicily actions, they lose it later on. They, and in Italy, they, they lose some remarkable figures uh, because yeah. they are now engaged in the sort of warfare that they weren't, they weren't, um, they weren't uh, uh, designed for basically. They, yeah, we- absolutely. So, but by the end of the Italy campaign for the SAS or for, you know, Paddy Main's SAS, they have lost at least a third of their men. And of those that remain, you know, many are nursing minor in- injuries and many of them severely exhausted and traumatized. It, it, they are no longer a viable fighting force by the end of the Italian campaign. And they have to then be, you know, they have to be withdrawn in November 43, taken back to the UK. They have to recruit and and recuperate and then prepare for the D-Day landing. So Italy really, really, really costs them dear. You also talk. It's not just the sort of the guns and never own story, but there's this this com, some quite remarkable stuff that you know. And as I always say to you, I'm, I'm not worse sort of creature, the armchair historian. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I've got a passing sort of whatever with with, with the military history in the Italian campaigns, but there's some stories in there that I haven't come across. And this the, the sheer the sheer bravery, stroke, psychotic. What were you thinkingness of Buttercup? Now, and what a, what a lovely Buttercup sounds like. You know, a, a, a small dairy cow who should be chewing in a meadow, quite a thing. But yeah, but and, yeah. and, and and that's kind of it kind of starts the story like that. But then what what he does is just like you wouldn't even do. That in a, in a in a first person shooter for goodness sake no no so so buttercup joe is 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 this amazing figure his his real name is not obviously not buttercup joe he's nicknamed that because it's a it's a Brit- english folk song from a hundred odd years ago about a rural chap and it's it's a funny folk song and so he's nicknamed that in the unit and he adopts it as his theme tune when they have these sas sing songs he sings that one and so he's this kind of figure of fun but then they get to the final major battle, which is Timoli, and Timoli was hell. And really, really tough, bad stuff happens there to the SS. And there's the final day of that battle, which is which is just an epic confrontation. 
And Buttercup Joe goes up to Bren Gun Ridge, which is where the SAS are facing off against a Panzer Division, believe it or not. And the Panzer Division had been told by Hitler, you will retake Tamoli. And he says to Maine, what can I do? Because he's been tending to the wounded. And Maine says, well, down by the railway station is the worst part of all. Major Farron's down there with just a few men. Can you go down and see what you can do? And he goes down there and thinks, well, I've got to give fire cover with my Bren gun. And the only position from which I can do so is atop that massive 500-gallon fuel tank. So he climbs on top of a fuel tank in the middle of the railway station and starts putting down covering fire from his Bren gun for the whole of that morning's battle, knowing that one tracer ran into that tank and he gets fried alive. And for that, you know, Buttercup Joe's written up for a military cross by by Paddy Main and, and he's duly awarded it. So, you know, lots and lots of decorations falling out of Italy. And as you say, all of it for kind of insane, unbelievable sacrifice and bravery, you know, which you can only get people to do when you forge that marvellous, amazing, unsurpassed esprit de corps that they had. I mean, we, we've, we've talked before, David, haven't we, about the SAS, and you think, uh, and, and, this, and also, this, you know, the Second World War, and, and what happens, and... I think now because it's we're at an interesting point as a, for a historian or somebody who's writing about this because there are very few now uh, remaining because yeah. of the passage mm-hmm. of time, mm-hmm. but it allow so it, it's important to get those those memories or while we still can. But at the same time, mm-hmm. there is now a generation when we grew up with our grandfathers or our fathers being mm-hmm. in the in the Second World War. But there's now mm-hmm. a generation where this is great granddad or great great grand. So it's removed. So this they didn't have action men. They didn't have commando comics to start them going yeah. when they were twelve. So this is all new to them, and, and maybe they're coming mm-hmm. at it from a rogue so from a rogue hero's point of view. Mm-hmm. But they, they, you know, they're a, we're able to. There's such a deep mine of information that still comes out of the Second World War because it was, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So you know, it's um, it's it's crucial that we get the, it's these stories out, and there are very few veterans left. But I did manage to interview, uh, and he he features right at the start of the book. Um, one of the two last surviving veterans of, of one SAS from World War II, a chap called Alec Borry, and I interviewed him in February, and sadly he passed away just a few months ago. So that's the last interview anyone has ever done with Alec Borry. And that that was really revelatory because his son was there, um, Ed, for some of the time that I was interviewing his father. And uh, obviously his father was in his late 90s, and his son said, gosh, there's things he told you today that I just had never heard before. Like he spoke about Paddy Main and the reverence the men had for that figure. He said, you know, and actually it was it was it was an it was a fantastic experience because I got a portrait painted of Maine. We got a print made, we framed it and we got it hung above Alec because he's bedbound, hung yeah. above, above Alec Borry's bed. And he said to us, this is fantastic because I have my my old commanding officer watching over me in, you know, in my in, in my dying days. Absolutely. What a moment. What a moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it just goes again. You know, I mean, with the greatest respect, forget Sterling. I mean, Paddy Main was the life, you know, he was the living, breathing heart of, of SAS, wasn't he, really? Yeah, by, by by war's end, you know, he'd soldiered with them since the beginning to the end and all the way through and always, always, always leading from the front. You look at every single one of those missions in Italy, he's there, the first person off the landing craft. I mean, you know, he but he's a, he's a major commanding 280 men. He could he can just stay in the rear giving orders. Never. He's leading from the front. And that goes back to the esprit de corps and why these men would, fo- as Alec Borry said, we would have followed Paddy Main into hell because we knew he would be at the front of us. And we knew if one person had a chance of bringing us out of hell alive, it was Paddy Main. 
Uh, just wonderful stuff. I mean, the thing is, David, I mean, this, this, we've written about this. We've talked about this. You've written about this. Yeah, and you're, here you are, and it's, it must be extremely gratifying that, that the fact that you're doing this Imperial War Museum last last night, you know, the Army Museum, National Army Museum today down in Chelsea, um, and there is so much, again, so much uh, respect, and people want to find out more about this and, and being because there's there's, a, there's an interest in this, but there should be rightly. Yeah, it's fabulous. I mean, I had two two ladies come up to me last night, right? And one was an elderly lady, but one was probably in her early twenties, and they both had strong Northern Irish accents. And they said, "Paddy Main has always been our hero." It's just fantastic to see the fact that he was not a mad, drunken Irishman. It's such an easy trope. Mm. It's so good to see the real Paddy Main coming to the fore, and that that to me that that says it all. You know, that that's enough. Yeah, and, and and again, any of those, any of those extraordinary men in SAS, you know, they they aren't the, the Rambo types or no, the whatever. They're all intelligent. Yeah. That you know, they're not yeah. muscle Marys. They're all very intelligent. Um, you know, uh, sort of empathetic uh, human beings because they need to be to go through those circumstances. You've um, got it in one, absolutely. What's up next, Damien? What's I mean, apart from tonight, is there going to be a? This, you know, I mean. Are you going to get go on and well, talk about fly fishing, fly fishing in 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 the north of Scotland for a bit? There's got to be a, the, the third book in this series because I've got to, I've got to you know take these guys through to the end of the war. So oh. I've got to write that at some stage. So, you, but yeah, I need I need a break. That's yeah. what I need. I need I'll come and visit you in Spain. How's that? Yeah, I think we could we could, we could do that. And I could <laughs> I could show you some of the rat lines running through my bed. That'll get you going on yeah, a, a search. Yeah, yeah, Presumably, if you're doing up to the end of the war, that's 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 running around 1945, heading towards Germany. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, Fatherland. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right then. Yeah. Well, well, if you want to come over for some rest and relax, rest and recreation, give me a shout and you can come on this. But this book is called uh, this book is called SAS Force in Hell. Congratulations again, as you can tell. Thank you. Uh, looking forward. To, looking forward. To, I've, I've read the first couple of pages that you your your, uh, your excellent PR sent me, and uh, it looks absolutely brilliant as always. Fifty to one outnumbered. I mean, that's just this goes to show, doesn't it? It's insane odds. It, 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 you know, it, on paper, it was a suicide mission. The fact they pulled it off so spectacularly successfully, the, the, their commander, General Dempsey, says to them afterwards, and this is a highly experienced World War II decorated veteran, he says to them afterwards, or he says to Maine, that was a brilliant operation, brilliantly executed. Highest praise. The book is called SES Forged in Hell. It's by Damien Lewis, who's been to today. Damien, we know that you're on the socials, but just let everybody know where they can go to to find you on the internet. Yeah, so I, I, my website is just DamienLewis.com. I'm on Twitter at Author D. Lewis, and then Facebook is Damien Lewis Writer. So yeah, just find me on those. The book is called SES Fortune Hell. You'll be able to download it as well as a virtual download from our own virtual bookstore. Uh, once again, Damien, have a fabulous night tonight at the National Army Museum in Chelsea. Thank you, appreciate it. And we'll speak to you very, very soon indeed. Damien, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.